Welcome to Business and Investing with Grant and Charlie, where we are enhancing your complete set of skills to build wealth inside and outside your business. Charlie, have you ever seen people buy businesses thinking it's going to be successful? Yeah, and then catastrophically fail. Have you ever? <laughs> sure, there's like some that have done it. I shouldn't just throw that way. I've also seen people succeed, right? But it's like the most recent example, I've seen a catastrophe. And... Um, <laughs> I'll I'll put it this way. Do you know who I'm talking about? Oh, I do know who you're talking about. Exactly. And like, if that person has now evaded the country and is hiding in one of the (laughs) Indonesian places, wink, wink on who this is again, then I may uh, retract my comments. But I have seen some wild shit in buying and selling businesses, Grant. (laughs) Have you you ever subscribed to a newsletter and like not got information? (laughs) Yes, our newsletter. I haven't written the email in two weeks. <laughs> oh my god! So there was a there was a direction I wanted this intro to go, and a direction that it went, and I'm going to stick with it. So if you're listening to this and you want to subscribe as well, head over to businessandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter. Put in your name and email, and we will notify you every single time we drop one of these episodes. Now, Charlie, let's see if you can't destroy the disclaimer as well. It's Charlie here from Business and Investing, and I need to let you know that Grant, myself, and the Business and Investing team are in no way, shape, or form qualified to give you personal or specific financial advice. We strongly encourage you seek out and use professionals when you are making investment decisions or comparing investment products. All right, Grant. Very, very interesting and exciting uh, topic today. We're going to be talking about should you buy a business? Is me? Yeah, totally. I'm in. <laughs> what are we buying? <laughs> right, well, let's set up some context here. A few points I just want to reel into, even from my comments in the intro. In the last year, uh, we were working, oh, I might be 18 months. So actually, geez, this year's going fast, man. It might be two years. We are getting old. All right, so let's say two years ago, we were working with a client who had acquired a business and hadn't done the proper due diligence. I'm not going to name them. They just got excited. Um, I think they were doing their best, but they were clearly in over their head. They went, then went in, sorry, they then went on to basically just hit a steep decline and like destroy the value of that business through misunderstanding. And now I believe they're like hiding out somewhere in one of the Indonesian countries trying to recover. That absolutely happens. It does happen. People look at buying a business as a silver bullet, not recognizing there is different skills and things that come with successfully purchasing a business and then running it well, where it can be a complete disaster. I've seen that. Um, We experienced it more recently to this point. Have you seen it elsewhere? I Funnily enough, I have seen it where people have acquired businesses and it hasn't worked out the way that they thought it would and to which it's just got shelved and it was just a an x cost for a lesson now it wasn't as big or as substantial as the deal that you're talking about but like they've bought businesses for a hundred thousand dollars before and it's like well this is not what i thought and they literally just put it on a shelf and just put it down to a bad experience and lick their wounds and said buying businesses is not for me on the reverse though to keep this balanced i've seen some massive successes with strategic acquisitions like, I have to. <laughs> I have to. Do you reckon I, I, here we go, Grant Matz, I believe more work out 
not in the favor that the individual buying it is hoping for. There you go. That's my hypothesis. All right. So based on what I've seen, right? I, I mean, I'm not an M&A guy. I haven't been behind the scenes and seen all the acquisitions that have gone well, but I'll, I'll go through something that I think is particularly interesting here. It, let's say there's, uh, I'll just use percentages. This might be the way. On a percentage, 20% of the people I've seen go out and acquire a business either to add to their current business or just like a new thing. It's gone really well, like really, really well. It was a great decision. Then there's like this middle bit, which I'm going to call maybe uh, 30%, where it's like, it's gone okay, like not terrible, maybe not what they had hoped. Maybe they got in and it was a bit of a renovator and then they've pulled a wall down and then gone, oh, crap. Trying to put the wall back. (laughs) (laughs) Did find someone who acquired a business for like the Facebook likes and Instagram followers and didn't look too deeply into the engagement side of things and like, they thought they were just going to be able to harvest all this traffic and it wasn't as good as they thought it would be, right? Dude, I know a guy who sold his business that was Facebook and YouTube likes. <laughs> and he was telling me that he's like, I can't believe someone bought <laughs> I wonder <laughs> if this was like the other sides of the transaction. Dude, this would have been like, I don't know, like nine years ago. So if that timeline correlates, yeah, probably. Quite a while ago, um, even to the point I'm mentioning Facebook likes, right? When Facebook likes were a thing. Yeah, wow. But, like, just think of it. You're sitting there. This person was in education. They, they uh, sold a, like, uh, I'll just call it a high-tick coaching program, like a five grand, 12-week thing. They were like, how can I get more clients? They go, well, I could just buy a business that has this big following, and then I'll, I'll just sell my course into that. Didn't go well. I have seen that go well in other circumstances, but to the point, like, that would be an example of where it's like, it wasn't what it was all cracked up to be, but the, the acquisition was still successful. It still probably broke even. But then to the point is like the bottom 50% I've seen go terribly. That's my kind of ratio on what I've seen. Is, does yours match up in that? Similar. Yeah. I, I would probably have it a, a higher doesn't work out. So I so what's your number? So I would give it, I'd give it 60% of it has not, the acquisition, probably actually no, you know what, 70% that the acquisition did not lead to the outcome that they were looking for. And I've, I've done urges before. Uh, the acquisition did not lead to it. I've I've done a whole heap of these things, and it's like on paper, if it works out to what you're planning, check, 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 checks works everything. And then we got to the end of a couple of them, and it was just like, great, didn't hit the outcome, but are we okay with where we landed? Yes. Would we do it differently in the future? Sure. Um, but it was just like that seems to be more the go than the other side. And then to your twenty percent, which I'd probably agree with the twenty percent, are like just wildly successful. So where I've seen organizations who have a killer product and a really good sales team, and all they've done is they've acquired eyeballs. Um, We can get into one of these stories later in this episode. Uh, It actually has become the cheapest way for them to acquire new leads and sales was through acquiring other businesses. Uh, And I'm like, oh, wow. And now they have a complete arm of their business with like 30-odd people that just do that. This is where it gets even more interesting. After I sold my first business and I wanted to look at acquiring a business, I went and spoke to a heap of brokers um, about you know what stock they have, what they have for sale. And one interesting thing came out with a with a broker I spoke to. He's like, "Look, to be real with you, like I have a, a heap of relationships, and as soon as someone comes to me with a business that fits one of my regular buyers' relationships, it never even hits the website." Yep. And to give you an example, I, I believe it was like a body corporate business. He goes, if anyone comes near me with a body corporate business that's between one and three mil and has these types of characteristics, 
I'll sell it that day. It's already sold. Like I've got a guy that will just buy it. He just keeps adding them to his pack. His strategy is to keep making that. The people who think about it in that way and have that type of relationship with the brokers tend to be the ones I see be really successful at this strategy. Really successful. It's almost their acquisition model. Yeah, it's because they got the reps in. They know exactly what it looks like. They know how to vet it. They know exactly what they're looking for. And they've been then they've also got a process to merge it in. Because it's one thing finding opportunities and finding a business model that you think will work in your business or for your type of house as a, as a business owner, but it's a completely different thing weaving it in, right? So it could be wildly profitable, but then when it, by the time you put your team in or try and merge it with your team, like that's where a whole heap of variables come in. The integration part. So Grant, why does this exist then? You and I watched um, a piece of content and there's been several more recently. Now, I'm going to butcher his name. Is it Graham Weaver? Weaver. Yep. Awesome. I got it right. That's pretty close for a first take. Yes. Well done. We don't Starting have to my day well here. <laughs> Essentially, this is a very successful guy. I think he's probably worth a bill at least. He's very up there from what I understand. Um, he's doing an interview and the young gentleman asks him, you know, it was like a 25-year-old. He's going, you know, look, if you were trying to make your first million again today, what would you do? And without hesitation, like, Graham just goes, buy business. I would raise capital and I would buy business. I don't believe starting a business is a good idea. I think it's going to be too slow and painful. And then he goes into like a lot of the characteristics on why buying a business would be pro. Now, this isn't the first time we've heard this message. Uh, You come across into like Cody Sanchez, who I think is another big name in more recent things. And like this is an idea she's promoting, as well as many others. But is it the silver bullet or best way of doing things that it's all cracked up to be? Or is it just the, is, is this the new uh, FBA, like the, <laughs> what the Amazon dropshipping business, is this the new Etsy store? Um, which, to be fair with you, I think that a part of it is just a new fad, new trend. It's something new and it's, it's got a good narrative of, what were we talking about? Like the boomers are getting out of it. I, <laughs> I feel it's not, it's not as much as everybody cracks it up to be. When I was first coming online, there was this whole thing that all the boomers are going to retire. There's going to be all these businesses for sale at like rock bottom prices. And if you can use the internet, your whole strategy should be looking for a boomer who can't use the internet. You're going to take that business and you're going to take it online. And that was the pitch. Yep. And doesn't that sound so good on the surface? It does. But then when you get into it, you actually go, well, there's a lot of moving parts in here. This guy is all of this person's customers are based on his personal relationships because he's been in that little community for 40 years. <laughs> and like, second you remove that person, the entire business comes down because there is no other credibility outside of individuals knowing that one person and just rebuying from them repetitively. So I, I look at this and I say, yes, but I'd still use our 20%, 80% ratios. 80% of the time it won't work out, 20% of the time it will. And like, it's really interesting. Like, you talked about the, the Cody Sanchez thing. And here we go. I'm going to dive into this. So she did laundromats. Like she did laundromats very heavily. And there was a video that I saw of her quite a while ago where she said most of them, albeit pay their way and not the cash cows that people hope for. She's like, it wasn't until she realized that the back end where you're actually doing like a pickup and drop off delivery service using the laundromat that she could actually extract profits. And I'm like, well, there's the real business model success. It's not the fact of buying the brick and mortar. It's that there are other ways to do it, which is why I'm, I just don't think that this is the silver bullet that everybody presents it as. There's just other avenues to it. Business growth is hard and expensive. 
right? If you're running ads or if you're investing in events or whatever it is, like, I think for most people, they would accept the idea of like business growth is hard. Is there just because growth is so difficult at times and challenging and it can be very monotonous and repetitive, right? Is this just like presented so well as a silver bullet? Yes. It is. It is, isn't it? It totally is because it's like the re, because it just packages up the, the whole basis is that this other business knows something that you don't know or has a unique value proposition that you don't have or just there's like a secret that they know that you want only to, for them to sell it to you on the surface. And then when you scratch below, you're like, wait a minute, like there's nothing here. <laughs> I could have just gone and done it myself. Like there was, I could have paid someone else to just tell me this and it would have been the same outcome. I feel like we're being a little bit negative on buying a business though here because uh, I, I want to I make this a more balanced conversation here. What right? is the steel man it? Let's steel man it, Charlie. Oh, I'm not even going to steel man it. I just really feel, right, in a lot of cases, it's like just a really interesting idea. Do you want to know the real secret? Yeah. It's all hard. Don't starting don't. a business is hard. Buying a business is hard. Not starting a business is hard, right? It's like all of it's hard. Staying a PAYG employee and having massive amounts of FOMO for the people that do start a business and be successful, that sounds pretty hard. And it's all hard. Do you want to know the deeper secret? What? You can have a great time regardless. It's how you show up. Yeah. How you respond to what's going on in your life, I think, is a massive um, thing here, right? So if you're growing a business and it's difficult, you don't have to be a miserable fuck while doing it. Right, you know, if you buy a business that doesn't go well, same thing applies. And I think there's a really interesting idea that it's like, instead of constructing like what's the most effective pathway based on what you want to do, and then developing the skills and strategies to execute that well, it just kind of ends up this mess of misery and jumping between the lot. Now, um, I want to bring this out for, for a really set of specific questions because I know people are going to be considering this at some point, as we both have. I'll bet there's been moments that you, you didn't watch Cody Sanchez or Graham's thing go, maybe I should buy a car wash. No, but I, t- I totally looked at it going, how can I buy property? And they just put like a, a semi-automated business on that thing so that I can extract more yield. Yes. Oh, you gave away my last point. Oh, did I? Like, is, like is not buying a property the ultimate? It's a great low-touch business grant. Oh, uh, beep right. it out, beep it out. <laughs> I'm going to go some direct questions. We're going to go back and forth on this one. I, I think this is important. If you've never run a business before, do you think the best starting place is to buy a business? No. Why not? Because there are nuances to running a business that you have no idea about. Like there's just, you can't just step into a pre-existing team and manage them without, have, without previously managing a team. You can't just step into a pre-existing lead generation and sales system without previously seeing how lead generation and sales systems work. And then to the other point of delivery, Outside of it being semi-automated, it's pretty difficult for you to walk into a delivery without having the nous of how do they deliver it? What does that look like? And I just go, okay, I just don't think you can just walk into it. So the idea behind what you're suggesting there is like, and I'll use another example. We'll use golf. Why not? Considering you are dressed for golf and we're going to play later today. Um, You're saying like if you just rocked up and you were a scratch golfer, so you had no handicap, but you hadn't built yourself to be that point, you just have no idea why you're doing certain things. So if you tried to play off that scratch handicap without going through that whole process, like the chances of you making a blunder is huge. And that's, yeah, but that's you. Now imagine that you've got other people around you who are like, all right, Charlie, you're my fearless leader. Teach me how you became a scratch golfer, which are your employees. 
and you don't know how you became a scratch golfer. It just amplifies the problem. I concur to a lot of that, but I want to ask her like the other side of it. For someone to buy a business, yes, I completely accept there is a high probability they're going to get eaten over their head if they have never run a business before because they haven't built the skills and traits to be at that level. How do you feel about the idea, though, if you buy something and it's got a proven success record that you actually eliminate a lot of the risk of like starting a crappy idea? If done well, you can eliminate the risk. So if, if you walked me into a box factory with 20 employees and just handed me the keys and said, make it successful, retain its success and grow it, I'd struggle. But if you're like, okay, here's the keys and here is the current CEO slash business owner who he's going to show you how he does everything over a three-month period, you can ask any questions. He's still going to operate it and like you can sit next to him and do it. For sure, 100% I could be successful, right? I just need to understand what, what each department of the business does and look under the hood to make sure that I can start owning it. Then when I start running it, he guides me. Easy. So, so much more so much higher of a probability of it being success than just handing keys over. What if it's a really simple business? Like a lot of these, uh, I don't like this word, so I'm not going to use it. Just work with me here. A lot of these people who are promoting the idea of buying a business pick very simple businesses like laundromats, car washes, and saying, this is a great place to cut your teeth because there isn't a lot of moving parts compared with like, I don't know, a software company or a bioengineering company or whatever it is. So what do I think about those? Yeah, does, does that uh, enough of an elimination here where you think if you are going to buy a business with no, ex- uh, with no experience, you've never run a business before, can you get around this notion through picking really simple businesses? You can, but the way that I look at business is how can I continue scaling? If I go and acquire, and a lot of these are like your car washes, your um, laundromats, like things that are just turnkey that typically don't require a lot of sales and marketing skills because there's just demand locally. Like a foot traffic or something. Completely. I sit there and I go, great, it can pay its way and it might give me a little bit of money on the other side, but then I can't scale it. Like I'm not trying to acquire a business to scale as a business owner. I'm buying a business as typically a side hustle. So in that regard, it's more like I'm acquiring an asset no different to like shares or a property or something like that as opposed to genuinely buying a business that I'm like, I have a path to ten, to use a Grant Cardone term to 10x this or turn this into something bigger, which to me, I, I don't perceive that type of business as like a, a business. Like it's not, it, it's, it is a business on paper, but you can only get so much growth out of a laundromat unless you go and open a heap more. I would also make the point that if you're not that experienced in business, you could actually buy a really low quality opportunity. Because in the notion, like, I mean, a car wash sounds like a very reasonable business on the surface or a laundromat. I I look at that. But every person that I know that's like gone into that way of acquiring it, Cody Sanchez included here, or someone we know like Keith Cunningham, they tend to buy other businesses later. They don't keep sticking with the car wash thing. It's something they move out of. And that's a different lens. Because if you're coming at it from the lens of, I want to create the greatest self-storage brand like National Storage here in Australia, and I, I want to try and create that as its own niche, well, then you need to understand leasing agreements. You need to understand like marketing for a corporate, like a large franchise. You need to understand franchising agreements and operating agreements, all these things, which you can't just walk into that. <laughs> like That's not something that you can just buy on pennies on the dollar 
walk into and be like, oh, I'm sure this is going to be successful. There's going to be hang. There would be hand grenades throughout that unless it's priced even on the simplest business. Totally going to be hand grenades. They won't understand the context. All right, so shift shift this then. Let's say you've had a business, you ran a business for three to five years, and then for whatever reason, industry change, you sold it. Right, you come to a point where it's like, hey, I've I've got I've acquired some skills, I've done some stuff. For that person going on to their next opportunity, is buying a business a good idea? Yeah, I actually do think so. I definitely do think so. I think that I think that there are some limitations to this, and I I did this. So I. I was running an SEO agency and I started e-commerce stores. Now, at the end of when I was doing the SEO agencies, I wanted to create a bigger opportunity. I'm like, great. I mean, this call it a four out of 10 opportunity and market's compressing. I want to expand out. So I sold the e-commerce store onto somebody else just to clear the plate and move on to what was software. Uh, and that was how I played it. The challenge though, which is the caveat that I say, I say yes with a caveat was I jumped entire business category, right? So imagine that I'd started e-commerce stores and I'd sold my e-commerce stores because I was going to move to a bigger e-commerce store. Easy, 100%. But I went from- e- Makes sense, Grant. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Makes a little sense. too much sense. But the non-rational Grant went, I will sell e-commerce stores and jump to software, <laughs> and which is- a completely different acquisition model. It's a completely different sales cycle. It's a completely different operating oh, model. Hold up. I got my ass handed to me in the food industry. <laughs> I did. <laughs> yeah. I, the, what made sense to me, right? I was like, I've gotten out of this agency. I've acquired acquisition skills. I'm like, do you know when you can take a point from something and, and make it true for you? Yep. Right, so I've been listening to a little bit too much Jay Abraham at this point in my life. So, you know, like he talks about taking skills from one industry and bring them into another. Yep. So I'm like, do you know what? People in food, they can't market for shit. No offense to the food industry. That's not their, that's not their core skill set. I'm like thinking, well, I've been literally running a, a paid media company or a paid ads agency. I know how to run Facebook ads. I know how to run Google ads. If I took that skill and brought it over to this market, I'm going to crush. Right? So I'm thinking about the advantage I have and negating I know nothing about the food industry. <laughs> just as if it's all the same. <laughs> yeah, right. So it's like, you know, uh, just, just for context, right? You know, something you can operate remotely with no perishable goods, no uh, leases, like all the advantages of the internet that I've got no experience with on the other side in food got a smack down. My limited understanding of how that industry works was like the dumbest idea I think I may have ever. I mean, maybe not the dumbest idea. I think we could say there's merit in what I was thinking about. I've, I've seen you make a lot of dumb ideas too. So yeah, it'd be pretty hard to beat them. <laughs> it's up there, up there. But, but that's where it went wrong for me i mean i legitimately didn't acknowledge the the importance of understanding a industry type or a market and the additional skills i would have had to require got my ass handed to me it was bad totally. but i think those are the nuances that can only get through via experience or maybe someone smarter than me can listen to this and be like oh i never thought about that or Probably a lot of business owners are sitting there going, yeah, no, I've done that mistake too. <laughs> we all thought, was it shiny objects at acquiring businesses? It's like definitely ways to learn very quickly. All right. I'll, find, I'll, I'll look at this here as like if you've sold a business and provided there's obviously no compete that goes with it, acquiring a slightly different business, maybe a bigger one, maybe it's like a little bit of a jump to the left or right. I, I'm with you. I actually think that can be a great way to skip a few years of starting something from scratch again. 
I don't mind that at all. Uh, I look at that and just go, the further the jump is, the more industry experience you need to do it in. If I was going to have my time over again, I really think that I would want to have found some sort of consultant, like an industry consultant, who could validate the ideas and notions I want to go with. So to give an example, if let's say I was going to go in this food industry one again, like I would want to find someone who's like killer in restaurants, let's say, bring them on as a consultant for the acquisition so that I can make sure that um, they could validate some of the ideas and I'm going about to kind of fill those gaps. Would that make the acquisition more expensive? Absolutely. But I think without it and that type of approach, you could just get hammered. Like, sure, I can do the accounts really well. In fact, I was doing the accounts really well. It demonstrated that I don't have a fucking clue what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> not, I'm not bitter about it, though, at all, right? No, it doesn't sound you tell. All right, so let's jump into the next one here that I think is really interesting. And this is something that I've, I think is pretty spicy. If you've got a business and you're not going to sell it, is there merit in the idea of uh, buying to expand rather than running other acquisition paths? So instead of running Google Ads, for example, to grow your business, you're screw it. I'm just going to buy uh, one of my competitors or another complementary business and I'm going to grow through acquisition. One. 1,010% categorically, yes. And even to the extent that you could do it from the other side, which is expand for delivery. There's nuances to the acquisition path versus the delivery path, but I, I definitely think it's a great exploration. How do you know which path's for you? Wherever the bottleneck is in your business. So if you think about your business as a production line from generating a lead to making a sale to delivering it to doing upsells and getting a testimonial at the end, right? imagine that with like the five, six steps, wherever the bottleneck consistently appears, if that's going to get you to the next layer, that's where you start looking. So for example, if you've got your marketing department throwing a huge amount of leads at you and your sales team just lay down as their sale, 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 but your bottleneck is consistently delivery, 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 maybe the easiest path is either obviously you can try and deliver, do it internal or go and acquire another organization who has the talent and has the ability to deliver, but they have no ability to acquire customers. And so it's like, great, we'll acquire you to get everybody to work in. We'll put your systems into our business and scale from there. But on the inverse, if you've got a really good product and you struggle to acquire, but then there's another business that's got a mediocre product, aka a lot of people churn out of it after a couple of months, great business to acquire because they have got a, a way to acquire the customers in your target market just on tap, they just need a better opportunity to deliver them into. That is such an interesting lens to look at it through. I actually don't look at it at all that way, but your way actually makes a lot of sense here because yeah, let, let's use an accountant as an example. If you are, let's pretend, really good on camera, you're speaking at all the conferences and you're getting clients coming in left, right and center, which we know one, um, delivery becomes the bottleneck and like the hiring, vetting and training process of getting an accountant up because it's a skilled thing. Right? It, it's a brutal environment to recruit from. Like you look at that and go like, you're not acquiring talent fast enough to meet the demand right now. If you could buy another accounting firm that's got 10 accountants ready to go, you'd be on. Totally. That is the fastest path. Now, like but the, this is the interesting layer, right? I'll, sh- I'll share how I was thinking about it. You win because of speed. But it's actually that you could get 10 recruits faster than you could hire 10 people in this example. I've always looked at this through cost. Like I've gone through the idea that it's um, using, uh, I'll use two examples here to kind of make it more relevant. 
is like if you can acquire a customer for a hundred bucks, right? There, and you're looking at this and going, well, I'm buying a business to beat that acquisition. I always look at it as in like a value point of view. Like, why would I buy a business if it's going to cost me more than a hundred dollars to acquire those customers versus if I can do it myself internally cheaper? It's speed. Well, no, no, this is just direct cost, oh, not even speed, right? So speed is an interesting layer to put on top of this because I look at it and go, if you can acquire a business, you're not only going to get, uh, you might get the uh, clients that come with it, but you've now got the integration cost. I've got to work out how to integrate these two businesses and, and uh, get it all to work, which is an additional layer. People don't think about it. But you might acquire this talent, but you might be, I love this example is like, imagine you're an organization and you run it like the Navy SEALs. And you've acquired some organization, and let's pretend it's um, it's run like uh, what's a really lax like Google, where they're all getting breakfast and stuff, <laughs> and they get like slippery slides in in the office. Yeah, I could just only see how the integration of cultures would just go terribly in that example there. By the way, I love that that was your example. That was my example. Whew, it explains where we come from, Charlie. <laughs> it does it really does? Well, it's just, I found this to be true. Like I, I come from the trade, right? Which is like, you know, as a plumber and like how plumbing works is like, you get up, you get your list of jobs you got to do for the day. You go home when it's done. So like you are very motivated to be organized and finish your day. Otherwise you can just end up working late every night. Right. If you, and then if you uh, take that to someone that's maybe gone to university where it's like, you're not on daily timelines. I've just found that can just be the clash and a half. Because people are like, oh, we'll get back to it tomorrow. We're not going to start early. Like it's a uni mindset. You know, we had beers on Tuesday and start at 12 o'clock. Yeah, shots fired to the whole uni crowd out there. Shout <laughs> out to my fellow trades that get up early and get it done. Can I, can um, I share like a big brain idea on top of that thing? Because like what's we're here for. We've, we've like, so I love the acquisition. So from a delivery perspective, the way that I think about it is like acquiring talent. And it, they call them acquisitions, by the way. That you're acquiring through acquisition, um, and it's, it's huge in the software space, right? Some woke thing. It from totally Google is. You know, there we go. And I love it. I'll, I'll write it on the wall. Um, and so, essentially, what a lot of software companies did was they had a huge amount of profit, so they were tr- they were trying to acquire tech talent, and like they were just so expensive. Like recruiters are insane, the salaries are insane. So you just buy the company, and then you essentially lock someone into it, like a three to five year contract, right? And so since you've just acquired someone, and just locked them in and guaranteed them. Um, from the acquisition side, uh, it's amazing because it's it's rare for people to understand that that is even an option. Like there are business owners out there that have too much demand and they just have no way to deliver. And that's where it might not be an acquisition. That, that's not, not us at all right now, Darren. It's not <laughs> at all. Where my my is, hair uh, is falling out. It's, get away from right, me. Anyway, continue. <laughs> but, and so usually what they'll go through is like a merger, right, where they, they try to bring the delivery and an acquisition into one, unless one just has spare cash to acquire. But there's a there's a third layer which I have seen play out in the specifically in the SEO space in Australia about cheese. It would have been about seven years ago, I reckon, where there was this one. It was a, an SEO agency that put, it was about mid tier, so they had a, their clients were probably paying anywhere from five thousand to ten thousand a month, and they had hundreds of clients. Now what they wanted to do that no one else knew was they wanted to roll themselves up to essentially it was like a PE fund or like it was a bigger listed company. It was something. Dude, this right? is who bought my first agency. Is it really? Yeah. I didn't know that was what they were doing though. And so, and so what they did was so this fund had already sort of put little ideas in all of these other mid-tier agencies saying we want to acquire a few of them. And so this one guy um, who I know, I won't name his name, 
he's just like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to create my mid-tier agency to be the biggest mid-tier agency because I know in two years I'm going to get this offer and sell out. So then what he did was he went to all the lower tier guys and even came to myself to say, I want to acquire all of you and roll you up. Is this a roll-up within a roll-up? It is a roll-up within a roll-up. Dude, he was a genius. So he knew that these guys were trying to do this other play because they were going to IPO or they were doing something. And he's just like, you know what? I'm just not going to put more money into like Google ads or Facebook ads. I'm just going to acquire all of these people. And you know the fascinating thing? So the massive caveat to the agreement was that you had to provide all of your past customers and past lead lists to them. And they actually had a team, the re-engagement team, who was reselling to all of the old customers and past leads of all of these businesses, which is like, hey, um, I know that you worked with ABC Corp. Um, We've actually become sort of the parent company. This is what we do. Here are some better case studies, et cetera. Like, have you thought about coming back? And so what they did was they acquired all these companies based off revenue, got all their old lead lists, resold to the old lead lists, got the money back for the acquisitions, and then rolled up to this entity. And I'm like, that's how you do acquisitions and roll yourself up. And so there's a third layer to like this entire play. To your point there, this is something I think business owners who are used to like bootstrapping a company and growing it from their own way is we are ignorant to the games that are going on in this world. Completely. Right. So um, I've, and I'm sure you've seen this, we, we know another person here where it's like they've acquired a company simply so they don't have to use an external resource and that helps their valuation. Yep. All right. So great one. You've mentioned talent as another one here. Uh, you look at things like Amazon where like they own the uh, delivery mechanism and the hosting because they don't want that type of thing set up. But there's these other games that exist, like the roll-up thing. Like There's people out there as a profession who it's like they will pick an industry, like let's say it's accounting. They'll acquire five accounting firms, roll them all into one organization and cut the costs through only needing one accountant, for example. And like that's how they make their money is selling it. So they're not interested in making like monthly cash flow from the profits. They're playing a completely different game in, in how it all comes together. So this is where very interesting valuations and how this world works. If you are going to go into it as a business owner, you really have, need to have an understanding of what you're coming into and, and rubbing up against because, man, just one little clever strategy, like you've got to provide your dead lead list or your past client list can be all the difference in an acquisition going really, really well there. I love that. So imagine you listen to this podcast and you've got the question of like, how do I know if I should buy a business or even like sell my business and buy into another business? Like, what, how would you evaluate it? Is this something you'd look at like monthly, yearly, is this something that you'd wait until the pain is so great that you need to change? Like, how would you look at it? I think if you are a business owner, you would really want to explore the options of like growing your own business internally first. So getting your own acquisition path sorted and your own recruitment path sorted and developing your own IP. I think you want to exhaust those options first. I, I really do. I feel very strongly about that. Um, once that's exhausted or you've hit a wall, that's where I think acquisition becomes really interesting. I do. I think it becomes uh, phenomenally interesting as a way of like breaking through to another level. But that that is where my bias goes. I, I look at it and go, it's like, you know, how they talk about McDonald's as the idea of like, they're not a restaurant, they're selling franchises. It's two different things. If you're the type of business that buys other businesses, you've got to have very different skills and resources than a business that's like used to growing a certain way. And I think for a lot of business owners, they negate that skill acquisition and talent and resource acquisition when they're thinking about it. But the other part of it is um, capital. 
right? So do you know many business owners that are sitting around with flush just with like cash? Yeah, flush with the cash to make acqu- acquisitions in this way. And even to our point, like our method is like we have a cash flow business where we could stockpile cash and buy other agencies if we want it, but we don't. We take that money out and we buy uh, real estate or we we make other investments. So the finance piece of it becomes really interesting as well, where it's like, I think it was like Epic Games that have got that. What is, what's that one game that's huge? I'm trying to think of it. GTA or something like that? or like a- There was that one guy, Ninja, who had the game. I'm trying to see what it was. Fortnite. Fortnite, yeah, there we go. So Fortnite took off as a sensation, right? They made so much cash, right? They they couldn't like it was self fulfilling in acquiring customers. They didn't they didn't know what to do with it, so they started buying other games, right? So like in those circumstances, like I see why that turned into the strategy, but I'm like I just don't know a lot of businesses that have that as the option. So you're telling me I shouldn't use my last hundred bucks to buy a silver bullet business? It's going to save me. That's where I think this gets interesting. If you've got a business that's gone stagnant and stale, chances are you ain't sitting around with a lot of cash and now you've got to pony up and use debt. Well, are you going to take that? Do you reckon business owners are drawn to the idea of acquiring other businesses because they dislike what they've been facing for the last five, 10 years and anything seems to be better as like an escape? Or do you think that it's, uh, I've maxed out where I'm at and so I look down this rabbit hole because it's just something that's going to help me get to the next level. Yeah, I'll answer that with a story here. It's really interesting that when you look at TV shows like Suits and uh, Grey's Anatomy or ER, um, they've polarized an industry to make it appear a certain way. And of course, applications to universities go through the roof. So more people want to be lawyers because of shows like Suits. They believe that's what their life's going to be like. Right? Or more people want to be doctors or nurses because of like um, Grey's Anatomy or whatever the shows are. I think people like Alex Armosi, and I'm not naming him as like a culprit here of it, but it's like the idea of having a portfolio of companies or buying a business has been like put out into the marketplaces like you're better than thou if you do this. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So I think that a lot of business owners are attracted to it because they believe that it's like, well, I'll be a better business owner if I'm buying and selling companies. Not true, by the way, but I think it's been put on a pedestal to in glorified in a lot of ways. So when people look at the results in their life and they, they're sitting there right now, they've got their business and they're not as successful as some of these people, they, they think that's the gap. Like if I just buy a business, well, then I'll be the next Alex Harmozy or uh, Cody Sanchez or whoever it is. Now, I'm not putting it on those people to necessarily push that narrative, but it's like it's certainly something I see here. Where coming back to the earlier part of this conversation, it's all freaking hard. Yeah. And I think that's a great underlying point, which is – like nothing is going to save. There's no silver bullet to running a business. A billet, uh, running a business is a gauntlet, not a sprint. Like this thing is like a, a decathlon that has an extra an extra ten races at the end that you didn't realize when you first started it. <laughs> and you go, it is just like, oh, what? There's more to it. And it's and so if it comes down to like, should you buy a business? It, it's so situationally dependent that I would almost shy away from no by default. It's like if you're looking at a problem or a challenge in your business on how do I scale from where I am and you're going, maybe acquisition is the right path, but it's almost like the default response should almost be no, look elsewhere and then validate through it. That's how I'm happy to give my opinion here. I'm happy to go, it's no by default unless you've just sold a business or made an exit and you're looking to get into the same type of thing. And then it's a no by default unless you've exhausted uh, your current options with growth. And then you've got a legitimate bottleneck. Then I, I look at it and go, that's really good. But then 
the next step to that is like, I really want people to respect the idea it's a new skill set. This is not something you can come in and go, oh, I've run a business before. I kind of understand it. Like I'm qualified because I've run a business. No, 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 no. It's a whole different game that gets played in this world. And like you stand to have your ass handed to you, just like I did, just like many who have walked this path have, because of that contextual thing of like the acquisition of a business is a new skill. Totally. And the acquisitions usually have a couple more zeros to the end of them. And the ass whooping hurts more than any other little project you could run into. Big risk, baby. Big risk. (sighs) Can wrap up on that point, Charlie. Let's do it. Loved it. Now, if you're listening to this and you say, it's a good point. I have a couple of questions. I got something for you. Head over to businessandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter. Put it in your name and email and we'll notify you every single time we drop one of these episodes and you'll be able to hit the reply button and email Charlie and ask him all the questions you would like to ask him. (laughs) So thank you very much for joining us and we'll catch you on the next episode of Business and Investing.